0: Journey into space. Uh The BBC presents Jeff Morgan in The World in Peril. morgan and his crew are on the way to mars in the rocket ship discovery accompanied by two remote controlled freighters after five months coasting out to the martian orbit the time arrives for the transference of fuel supply from the freighters to the discovery prior to slowing the spaceships down so that a landing on the red planet can be made so donning their spacesuits, jet and lemmy transfer from the discovery to freighter number one carrying the fueling lines with them after securing the lines They enter the freighter from which they will control the refuelling operations. She's filling up. We're beginning to hear things again. Air pressure maximum. Opening cabin hatch. As soon as you get up there, Lemmy, switch on the radio, and I'll check the air replenishing system. No point in working with our suits on if we can avoid it. No, mate. do you mean, uncanny? I don't know. Coming into this ship like this, finding all dark and without a crew, it don't seem right somehow. It's like going into an empty house, one that's been empty for years. Hey, listen. What's that? What? I didn't hear anything. Well, I did. Sounded like somebody talking. It's probably Mitch or Doc. We shouldn't hear them. Not now we're inside the ship. The walls act as a screen. That's why we need the ship-to-ship system. Listen. There it goes again. Yes, I heard it that time. There's somebody up there. But they can't be. There was nobody in here when we took off. They could have stowed away, couldn't they? If they had, they'd never have survived the takeoff. There are no coaches in this ship. It sounds like they didn't need them. Listen, Lemmy, let's hear what they're saying. I can't understand a word. I oh, don't like this, Jet. Let's get back to our own ship. We can't. We've got to transfer the fuel. We'll never reach Mars otherwise. Surely they must be us. Why don't they show themselves? That's yes, why don't they? And if they won't, we'd better show ourselves to them. Hey? Come on, let's climb the ladder. I'll lead the way. Oh, blimey. Well, no. there seems to be anybody up here. And who was that we heard nattering? Close the hatch, Lemmy. I'll check the air supply. Everything seems to be okay with the air. You can take your helmet off. Yes, mate. Uh, Stow your helmet, then call up Doc. See if the radio's okay. Right. Meanwhile, I'll make a thorough search of the cabin. Maybe when they heard us coming, they'd nip down into the cargo hold. In which case, we'd have heard the airlock, or the hatch, at least. That's a point. But where else could they have gone? Nobody could hide in here. The only place they could be is down in the inspection hold. I'll take a look there. Now, nah, be careful, Jack. Je- don't go doing anything stupid. Oh, don't worry. The inspection hatch is transparent. All I have to do is put the light on and look. Oh, what are we panicking about? The ship-to-ship radio's on, isn't it? That means the receiver in this ship must have been alive before we even got through the airlock. Doc's probably been calling... Uh... why isn't he still calling? Uh, I'd stake my life on that voice not being Doc's. No, it wasn't much like it, was it? But I'll call him up, Jet, just to make sure. Hello, Discovery. Freighter number one calling. Can you hear me? Over. Hello, Lemmy. Doc speaking. Are you all right? Yes, mate. Why? Why oh, I thought you... I heard you calling a couple of minutes ago. Oh? What was I supposed to be saying? Oh, I couldn't make it out. It was a strange voice. All distorted. I couldn't understand a word. So you heard it, too. We thought maybe it was you. Did you try and call us? Uh, Yes, I did. But I realized that you must still be in the airlock and couldn't possibly hear me. Hello, Doc. Jet here. Hello, Jet. Did you hear all that? Yes, Doc. So it did come from the radio. And that voice, I mean, sounded for all the world like somebody in the cabin. Have you heard it since? No. Maybe it's control trying to contact us. On the ship-to-ship frequency, Doc? Oh, no, I suppose not. But who could it have been, then? Who would know we were using this frequency anyway? Maybe it's some freak transmission harmonic or something. On um, this equipment? It has been known. Well, it's all very strange. I've never known the equipment behave so oddly before. Normally, reception is as clear as a bell with no kind of interference from anywhere. Well, we got it this time. Well, so long as communication with the ships is okay, we'll leave it at that. Let's get on with the work we came over here to do. Very well, Jet. Let Lemmy, hook up our personal radios to the discovery. Yes, mate. We're hooked. Lemmy and I will now go down into the hold and transfer the fuel. Is Mitch all set? Yeah, Jet. All ready and waiting. Did you hear any... any voices, Mitch? No, I didn't. Doc told me about it, but I couldn't hear anything. Maybe something to do with my being stuck down here in the bowels of the ship. It's not all that easy to hear you. Oh, well, we'll get down to the hold ourselves. I'll call you before I'm ready to set the pumps going. Come on, Lemmy, let's go. Contact! (laughs) Contact! Shh! Coming up to maximum, Jet. Check. Ready to switch off. Cut. Tank's now filled. Pressure 478.5. Good. I'll leave you to extract the residue from the lines. Okay. Meanwhile, Lemmy and I will prepare to leave this freighter. Once we're outside, we'll disconnect the lines and return to the Discovery. Good on you. Hello, Doc. Did you hear that? Yes, Uh, Chet. And did you hear that? That voice is definitely trying to contact somebody, and he's not succeeding. All right, Doc. Keep listening. Stay on the ship-to-ship system until we get back. Record all you hear. Sure, Jet. He's persistent, isn't he? I heard the voice twice more before Jet and Lemmy returned to the discovery. During the second call, Mitch came up from the hold and heard it too. But neither of us were able to make any sense of what he was saying. And that was the last we heard, for the time being at any rate. Three more weeks passed during which period we traveled another 13 million miles. The red planet now looked almost as large as the moon does from Earth. Its polar ice caps reflected the brilliant sunlight, and the pink and olive-green features of the planet's surface stood out sharply. Gradually, as the planet rotated on its axis, the familiar places passed before us. The Lacus Solis, the Augier Desert, and the Mare Erythrium were easily discernible the planet looked lifeless. At this distance, it didn't seem possible that human, and so far as we knew, inhuman beings roamed its surface, tilled the land, and populated the strange pyramid cities which we knew to exist in the oases where the canals meet. We were rapidly approaching the time when we would have to slow our ships down to match the speed of our objective. Unless we did, we would overshoot and miss the planet entirely. Only five million miles now separated us from Mars. But in spite of our speed, our spiral course dictated that it would be another week before we could go into free orbit round the planet. And before that could be achieved, we'd have to slow down. We carried no forward motors in the Discovery or the freighters, so it was necessary to turn the ships over before the braking power was turned on. We strapped ourselves to our takeoff couches ...and got ready for the turnover routine. Position control panels. All set, Mitch? Yeah, Jeff. Doc? Okay. You, Lemmy? All right, mate. Then switch on the televiewer. Televiewer on. Freighters in full view. Mitch, gyro. Gyro. Contact. Freighter gyros, contact. Position, Lemmy? Bang on. Our points of reference were the stars. Slowly, very slowly, the great ships began to turn over... Rate of turn, Lemmy. 0.5 degrees. I could see the two giant craters very clearly on the screen. As always, they appeared to hang motionless against a background of myriad stars set in a velvet black sky. And then, slowly, very slowly, the sky began to revolve. Stars which for so long had occupied an apparent permanent place on our televiewer screen now began to move out of the picture and new ones appeared to take their places. Of course, it wasn't the stars that were moving. It was us. One degree? One degree. We had 180 to go, at the end of which our ship's tail would be facing the direction in which we were traveling, and its nose pointing in the direction we had come. 1.5 degrees. Slowly, the minutes ticked by. And slowly as the ships turned turtle, the background of stars on the televiewer screen also turned over. 179 degrees. At last, after what seems an interminable time, the maneuver neared completion. 179.5 degrees. Stand by to cut gyros. 180. Ships gyro cut. Freighter gyros cut. Stern televiewer, Lenny. Stern view. On. And there she is, the red planet. Sleep in the centre of the screen. Stand by to fire motors. Standing by. Position, Lemmy. Okay, Jet. No drift that I can see. Firing in 20 seconds. Breakers, Doc. In position and ready to fire. Motors, Mitch. All set. 15 seconds. Let's hope when we put the brakes on we don't go into a skid. <laughs> oh. Five seconds. Four. Three. Two. One. Contact. Decreasing. 4,500, 4,100, 3,700. 17, 45. Repair a cut motor. 15. Now. Motor cut. Freighter motors cut. Well, that's that little job chopped. And what's the next? So far as you're concerned, let me call up control. Tell them to stand by for a coded message. Yes, mate. Just let me undo my straps and I'll be right on it. Doc, uh, code a message, will you? Tell control the ships have been turned over and speed reduced. Yes, Jeff. Larka Solis, the eye of Mars. Looks just as sinister now as it did the first time we saw it. You remember, Mitch? <laughs> to right, I do, Lemmy. Lemmy, yeah. Mitch? Yeah, coming, Jet. All right, put up the telescope now, Lemmy. Jet wants to discuss our orders. Oh, be right with you, Mitch boy. Here. Come on, then. Well, gentlemen, by this time tomorrow, if all goes well, our journey will be over. And we'll be encircling Mars in free orbit about a thousand miles above its surface. And uh, best of luck. And what does that remark mean exactly? Oh, nothing in particular, Jet. Uh, but, but, but as soon as we go into the free orbit they're about to see us, aren't they? You well, know, they might mistake us for stars. And they might not. The fact remains, we have to go into free orbit yeah. How long do we stay there? For as long as it takes us to survey the whole surface of the planet in close-up. Jet, what do you hope to see? Well, we should be able to see the city in the of Solis quite clearly. Uh-huh. We could also confirm the existence of other cities, too. That so-called flying doctor told us there were many more in the northern hemisphere. And then? Then we select the loneliest spot we can find and make a landing. What about the ice caps? They were good enough for us before. Uh, the only trouble with landing on either of those is we we'll would have to travel such a long way before we can hope to meet anybody. And in an emergency, we'd also have a long way to get back. Yeah, so all we have to do is land in a lonely place near a city. You know, there's one thing in favor of landing back on the ice cap, Jet. What's that? Well, when we panicked away on our last visit, we left a freighter full of supplies, a complete land caravan and a radio station at our polar base. If they're still there, they could be very useful. Perhaps... Meanwhile, we have other more important things to discuss. There are four things above all else that Space HQ want to know. First, how are Earthmen conditioned and how, if at all, can they be brought back to normal? And if they can, what will they remember of the time they were in a conditioned state? From personal experience, I'd say very little. Mm, But when you came back to normal, Mitch, you remembered quite a lot. Only events in which you had a share or could remind me of. Exactly. But it's my belief that all the things you did while in a conditioned state could be brought back to you if somebody could remind you of them. Or if you again visited the places in which they occurred. You mean a conditioned man's memory could be jogged by an association of places and ideas? Mm, yes. And Mitch's case isn't the only thing I'm basing that conclusion on. There were those men we met at the underground factory. The ones who asked us to take them back to Earth. Well, how did they fit in? Well... I believe that until we came along, they thought they were on Earth, just as most people on Mars do. But their contact with us, our way of speaking, all sorts of things about us, aroused long-forgotten memories. When we talked to them of Earth, the memories of their previous lives on that planet came rushing back. Yes, but those men hardly seemed to be conditioned at all, Doc, any more than Webster did. Had the conditioning worn off, do you think? Very probably it was allowed to wear off. We mustn't forget that even though those men looked young, they were, in fact, very old. They knew, even though they didn't admit it, that they were too old to return to Earth. Back home, they would have reverted physically to their true age and died. So there was no need to keep them conditioned any longer. They wouldn't escape. Then if we do get out of a conditioned Tot, he must be a young man. Somebody who hasn't been up here very long, isn't it? Exactly, Lenny. Hey, oh, that's right. And how do we tell how old they are? Well, the shorter the time they've been here, the deeper will be their conditioned state. Well, what brings you to that conclusion, Doc? Remember Dobson and Harding and McLean, uh-huh. even Grimshaw and Frank Rogers? Uh-huh. Their conditioning was such that they wouldn't move a muscle without being told. On the other hand, the flying doctor who had been on Mars for more than 50 years was, to all appearances, quite normal. He wasn't kept deeply conditioned anymore because it suited the Martians better for him to be in command over his own faculties. Traitor But Dobson, Harding, and the rest weren't. They were hardly more than robots. And that's the type Space HQ want. The type we must try to take back. If we get back. And how do we go about unconditioning them? Well, that's up to the experts down on Earth. Unless we're lucky enough to stumble on some method ourselves. But I believe they may return to normal on their own account, as Mitch did. The moment they come into contact with familiar, earthly things. Well, so much for condition types. What's next on the agenda? Uh, Next, uh, the spheres. Now, they don't expect us to capture and take one of those back to Earth with us, do they? No, Lemmy, but they do hope we may find out something of how they're made and how they work. And if we can't discover either of those things, then we must find out how they can be destroyed. If thousands of those spheres suddenly appear over London one night, HQ want to know how to deal with them. And that's about the toughest task of the lot. But there's one thing that's certain. Those ships are not propelled by any method that we're familiar with. There are no rocket motors. Rates of acceleration can be slow or fast. Maneuverability's fantastic. They can go straight up, sideways, backwards or forwards, how and when they like. Unlike our two, once we're coasting, are stuck with whatever course we're on. With minor exceptions. Yes, Mitch. Our method of propulsion, the reaction method, must seem very antiquated to the Martians. Our ships must appear to them as... old sailing ships appear to us. They move and eventually they get there, but that's about all. Yeah, my theory is that the Martians have long ago tapped some power, magnetism maybe, that pervades the whole solar system. Maybe the whole universe. So wherever they go, that power is always with them. Mm, they use magnetic lines of force, you mean? Yes, something like that. Though so what exactly it is, I have no more idea than you. What hope do you think, Mitch, of our learning how the spheres work? Even if we captured one and took it to pieces, not much. <laughs> what could an ancient Egyptian make of a dynamo? Or even a steam engine if he suddenly came across and one? And yet Earthman, a conditioned Earthman, I realize, helped build those spheres. Somebody down there must know exactly how they work. And it's up to us to get hold of him, isn't it? I'll bet that supervisor geezer at that underground factory would know... There wasn't much he didn't know. Well, that's a job you can do, Lemmy. Soon as we touch down on Mars, nip over to that factory near Lack of Solus, capture the supervisor and bring him back to the ship. Uh, no need to be sulky, Mitch. It's not called for. A great deal depends on our getting hold of the right kind of conditioned personnel. And how do we do that? Well, that's a problem we have to tackle once we've landed. Together with a problem of avoiding conditioned personnel getting hold of us. And then there's the exact date of the invasion. If we never get off Mars, we must find that out and radio it back to Earth at the first opportunity. And finally... There are the Martians themselves. Who are they? Where do they live? What do they look like? And where do they get those asteroids from? The ones that carry the spheres. And are they propelled on the same principle? They must be. Well, in that case, they could leave for Earth or any other part of the solar system whenever they please. Of course they could. They wouldn't be dependent on favorable positions between Earth and Mars before they left, as we are. They wouldn't have to travel halfway around the sun 400 million miles to reach an objective that comes within 40 million miles of their own planet anyway. Yeah, the only thing they'd have to consider was the direction in which the Earth was traveling in relation to their own planet. Though if their ships are as efficient as they appear to be, they'd hardly have to consider that if they didn't care to. The outlook isn't very rosy, is it? No, it isn't. But we'll do our best anyway. Maybe we'll find somebody down there who will want to help us, as Webster did last time. Maybe. Meanwhile, we'll make our plans as though we're getting no help from anybody. Once we're down there on the Martian surface, we stick together as much as possible. Nobody is ever to wander away on his own. Now, is that clear? Right. All right. right yeah. Now, if we have to split up, it'll be only in pairs. And one pair will always remain in the vicinity of the ship, wherever we put her down. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. Now, remember, our main object is to radio all possible information we can to Earth. If we can get away ourselves later, with or without conditioned types, then all the better. But our own safety is second to the relaying of the information that is so vital. Now, if anything should happen to me, Doc will take over duties as captain of the ship. After him, Mitch. Don't go any further. I'm not used to giving orders anyway. Very well, gentlemen, that's all for now. Exactly how and where we land will be decided after we've travelled round the planet a few times and taken a good look at it. Right now, prepare to go into free orbit. How's it going, Mitch? Hey, Oh, fine, Jeff. Everything's bang on. The freighters and the Discovery can be fired just as soon as we're ready. We don't need to transfer more fuel. Nah, not until we're in free orbit. we have still got enough in the tanks to get us that far. Good. How far off are we now? Oh, about five hours, Doc. Uh, I only hope this trip has been worthwhile. Oh, why shouldn't it be? Oh, I don't know. And I think of those Martians with all the power they have at their disposal, the thousands of ships they must have... And then I think of us and these, let's face it, antiquated space machines. I know, Doc, I know. These three ships are the only ones the Earth possesses that can fly beyond the moon. Well, I don't think it'll help to dwell on the fact. No. It just seems so hopeless. Yeah, as hopeless as David going out to meet Goliath. Hmm? If I can drag Lemmy away from the telescope, I'll get him to call control. Oh, I'll do it. You've got plenty on your hands. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. The message is already coded. He can send it as soon as he's made contact. All right. Hey, Lemmy. Hello, Doc. Here, do you want to have a look? Uh, Maybe I will. But Jet wants you to call up control. There's a message waiting on the table. Oh, just as I was enjoying myself. Now get over to the radio. There's a good fellow. Yes, Doc. Right away. Hey, Jet, Doc. He's here again. I heard him. What was that, Lemmy? The voice is back. Come up, almost slap on control's frequency. Are you sure it isn't control? Of course I'm sure I switched the gear on and there he was. I hadn't even called anybody. Well, oh, how loud was he? Strength one to two. But it was him all right. Were you able to make out what he said? No, not really. He was on and gone almost before I realized it. I don't know how long he'd been calling. There he goes again. Quiet, Lemmy. Switch on the recorder. Yes, dead. Mars fleet, he said. And freighter number one. Can't be. There's nobody in our freighters, I hope. How far off frequency is he, Lemmy? Not much. Would he hear you if you called? I oh, doubt it. Not without a retune of transmitter. Very well. Call control. Tell them we have a message for them. Hello, well. Uh, Discovery calling control. Have a message for you. Come in, please. Well, it'll be nearly eight minutes before we get a reply. And while we're waiting, Doc, perhaps you'd code another message requesting permission to retune transmitter. Yes, Jeff. Aye, right, There he goes again. He seems to be in a bit of a state, to me. he? Well, Doc? Uh, permission granted. All right, Lemmy. Where you go? Yes, Jack. What do we use as a call sign? Or do we let him know who we are? Uh, use XOP. Right. Well, now that's the transmitter retuned. Now, let's see what happens. Hello. Hello. Station XOP calling. Can you hear us? Anybody? Doesn't sound as if anybody can. Now, give him a chance, Lemmy. He's probably millions of miles away from us. Hello, Earth. Hello. Oh, is he? Frater number one calling Earth. Can you hear me? Trying to contact you over. He's not so far away after all. Call him again, Lemmy. Hello. Station XOP calling. Receiving you, strength one. Are you receiving me? Over. Is the recorder on, Doc? Yeah. Get ready to take a bearing this time, Lemmy. And Hmm. be quick about it. He may not talk for long. Yes, sir. Never you, mind, mate. Who are you? Uh, he doesn't answer that one. Here, let me, let me take over. Hello, freighter number one, XOP to freighter number one. Can you hear me? I can hear you. We asked you a question. Who are you? I asked you first. Who are you? Listen are to... you Earth or Moon control? Listen to the tone of his voice. That's a condition type. If ever I heard one. Will you answer my question, please? I know who this is. It's the Martians trying to contact those spheres that landed on the lunar colony when we took off. Then why should he want to talk to Earth? That's a point. He must know the signals between here and the moon would take minutes to cover the distance. Yet there's hardly any delay between replies. Which means he must be somewhere down there on the Martian surface. Hello, freighter number one. Moon control here. Receiving you strength one. Over. Now, see what that produces. I've got you at last. I've been trying to contact you for weeks. I have most important message for you. Can you take it? Hello, number one. Your call received. We'll take it in a few moments. But first, who are you? It's freighter number one of the Mars fleet. I have important message for you. And what are the rest of the fleet? Where are they? The rest of the fleet? You are only number one. There must be others. I can't remember. I, 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 can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. I'll bet you can't, jump. Can't you even remember who you are? Rogers. Frank Rogers. Frank? What? Frank Rogers was in number one in the original fleet. Only part of the time, Lemmy. his ship was actually number two. It can't be, Frank. It can't. Why not? We left him behind, didn't we? But the Martians got in. He was deeply conditioned. Or so you said, Jeff. That's right, Doc, he was. Last we saw of him was in the Lacosolis. Why, he didn't even know me. Hello, can you hear me? Hello, number one. You say you are Frank Rogers. That's right, that's. Are you alone in your ship? Yes. Nobody else with you. The the freighters carry a crew of two. Two? Yes, that's right. I remember now. Grimshaw. Grimshaw, where are you? Grimshaw. Now he's gone crackers. Hello, Rogers. Hello. Hello, number one calling. Receiving your strength five. Over. This is a weird business. Can I talk to him, Jeff? Sure. If you think you can get any sense out of him. Uh, Hello, Frank. Hello. Who's that? This is Doc. You should be out here in the fleet with us on our way to Mars. I am. I'm in the flagship. I must talk to Earth or Lunar Control. If you have any message, Lemmy will pass it on for you. Lemmy? 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 What's the matter? Doesn't he like the name? Lemmy back. He got lost out in the land truck. Yes, I think this is Frank Rogers' jet. Every time we mention something to do with the fleet, it seems to jog his mind. But I was never lost in any land truck. You meant to others Sole remaining member of the whole meet. Hello. Uh, hello, Frank. Can you hear me? One I have a for, you. for goodness sake, Doc. Let's take the message. Maybe that'll give us some insight into what's on his mind. Ready to receive your message. Over. Hello. Here is the message. Uh, uh, Receiving you. Give us your message, please. From trader number one for discovery. Have routine checks. Are you ready to receive them? Whoever it is, he must be clean up his rocker. Hello. Give us your message. Do you hear? I can't. Whitaker? But he's dead! Get away, do you hear? Hello, flagship emergency! Hello! 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 That was episode six of Journey into Space. Taking part in this recording were Andrew Folds as Jet Morgan, Alfie Bass as Lemmy, Guy kingsley Pointer as Doc, and Don Sharp as Mitch. Other parts were played by David Jacobs. The orchestra was conducted by Van Phillips, who also composed the music. Journey into Space was written and produced for the BBC by Charles Chilton. You can hear Episode 7 at the same time next week here on BBC Radio 2.